Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 9. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and I'm so excited to be here that I could scream. This evening brings us double trouble with two stories from authors Cryptic Wander and P.D. Williams. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, 
visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And with that out of the way, without further ado, from author Cryptic Wander, I give you, And the Wind Will Blow. The town was nicknamed the Dust Bowl. It wasn't because of any recent famine, at least none that Ralph could remember. There were no shortages of jobs, and there certainly wasn't a shortage of work around town. Was it the dust? It could be, but it wasn't likely. Corn grew in large fields, in all the places that the grass didn't, and that was everywhere. The wind did howl more often than not, and there weren't too many trees around to block it off, though he had never endured anything that could be considered a sandstorm. No, as far back as he could remember, the busy little town of Colby, Kansas just had its own little name like a secret that only those who chose to live there would know and most likely continue to pass down with each generation. Maybe it would change one day, Ralph told himself. I think I'd like to see that sometime. That'd be all right. He made his way down the road in his beat-up Ford. It was passed down from his grandpa, if truth be told. It was late summer, and the sun was just a few fingers away from being down completely. He normally made this trip out to the factory once a month. It was a good drive to get there, and not all of it was paved, but it was well worth it to get a good price on dog food. He got it for practically nothing. His cousin was the plant manager, and the company would normally sell the scraps of what didn't make it into bags to the farmers that raised cattle. It was cheaper than mill feed and kept them going strong through the winter. Naturally, Ralph got it at an even better price. He didn't have any cows to speak of, but he had dogs. It started with one to protect his operations, then three when he got to like the company they gave. They soon started breeding quite a bit, not giving their gender a single thought. It wasn't no issue. When he found there were too many, he would tie a lot up in burlap and toss them into the river. No problem. He then found out he could make a pretty penny by selling them, as they were all purebred pit bulls. Or so he told people. Everyone who wanted one badly enough didn't correct him, and his wallet stayed a couple of twenties fatter. He pulled up to the back of the large building, well away from the employees' area. Ralph and Levi weren't doing anything illegal, of course not, counting the payment. They just felt better if nobody else knew about Ralph's great deal. The silo full of dried up scraps was out back here anyway, so he backed his truck up to meet the chute and hopped out. Levi was there to greet him. 
Hey, Ralph. How's it going? Asked Levi, reaching out a hand to shake. Oh, can't complain. Been bagging me some coyotes lately. I figure there's a den made up somewhere along the hills to the south of my place, Ralph replied, taking Levi's hand and not so subtly passing along two baggies of methamphetamine. Shit, I ought to come out there with you one of these days. <laughs> we'll bag us a whole fam damnly, he said with a chuckle. Yeah, I think that'd be all right. Levi pulled a lever that let loose the shredded, discarded animal remains. It always had a right awful smell to it, but this smelled like something was dying for a month before it finally kicked. Good God, Levi! You using rotten assholes for filler now? Yelled Ralph. He made to plug his nose in an effort not actually to taste what was going into his lungs. It was a vain attempt. <laughs> I might as well be. Got a new contract with that medical plant up in Atwood. They got a lot of crud to get rid of, and I got a lot of cows to feed. Not too shabby a deal, if you ask me. Minus the smell. Well, just make sure it doesn't go killing my pups. Be a lot less business for you if you do, in both meanings of the word. They ain't gonna pay no mind. You worry too much about things, Ralph. Levi said, closing off the valve once more. You just tell me how they like it next time you come by, eh? Yeah, I suppose that'll be alright. You have a good one now, cuz, and come on by if you ever want to take some pot shots of them coyotes, said Ralph as he climbed back into his old truck. It's a damn good deal indeed, he thought to himself on the ride home. The sun was now down less than a finger and shining right into his eyesight. That perfect time of day, when even if a cop does see you, he won't for very long and probably wouldn't be up to ask questions. Not when there was dinner to get back to. With only a couple of grams of the stuff he made in the basement, he had enough food to keep trespassers off his property for another month. True, the truck usually smelled like a crushed bag of assholes, especially in the summertime, but this was a new level of bad. Ralph was wondering if he was going to make it home before yakking, and to his relief, he did indeed. It was a few skips away from his truck. He bent over the gate he kept locked up and let everything from the day pour out. Brown chicken and curdled mashed potatoes splashed at his feet, and the dogs were already barking up a storm ahead of him, fifteen of them at the time. Shut up, you bunch of mutts! I'll kick every last one of you! Ralph got himself together and popped the lock off of his gate. Taking a deep breath of semi-fresh air, he got back in and drove it to the house itself, not bothering to relock the gate. He rolled back out and grabbed the feeding bucket off the porch. Four of the dogs, his favorites, were tied up closest to the porch. They could at least get out of the rain if need be. The others were scattered around the yard to cover his bases. He never had any trouble with the police, apart from his younger days when he didn't have a license, but kids from town had the habit of running amok. Years ago, Ralph was set on his porch in the dark, taking in the sounds of the nightlife when he heard a few of them moving around. He caught one of them saying, We're gonna be rich! 
before grabbing his gun and shooting blindly into the direction the voice had come from. He could only assume they thought he was a rich, elderly eccentric, too old or feeble to protect what was his. He didn't need to attract any more attention than necessary, so he got his first pup, Benji. Things had been pretty quiet since then. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Slamming the bucket into the foul-smelling scraps, he swung it out into their troughs, to which it was all hungrily devoured. It wasn't that he starved them or anything. Hell, they ate better than he did some nights, but what good's a guard dog if they ain't got no drive? They finished their meal for the night, and surprisingly, they all laid down and kept quiet. Usually, they'd bark or whine for more, and he'd yell, Shut up! as he walked back into his house. Not being one to break tradition, he let out a quick, Shut it, you sons of bitches! and he walked through his doors. Though the inside wasn't real dirty, it was never really clean. Years of dust-covered furniture and creature comforts cluttered every room, most of it not important enough to bother writing or doing anything with. When something did block his way, like the busted-up kitchen chair, he'd kick it out of the way or step around it if it was easier. He walked through to the living room and over to the bookcase that was not so subtly jutted out. He built it years ago, after his wife left him. She found out about it and couldn't handle his cooking business. She was clearly the idiot there, as he had been making major dineros for years. How else did she think he could afford all that face junk and get her hair done every few weeks? Well, that was all right, he supposed. He had enough to support all his needs and buy his way out of any trouble. With the flick of an eye bolt, the old shelf swung itself open, and down the stairs, he went to his kitchen in the basement. He spent the next many hours mixing chemicals and gently heating them until they were just right. 
He knew full well the consequences of something going wrong. One time, back when he first started, he turned the burner on under a small test batch without too much of a second thought and went to get the packaging ready. Do you know those thermoses that have false bottoms? Yeah, those worked just fine. He even made a few extra bucks on them alone. Without warning, there was a deafening explosion from behind him. He slowly pushed himself up, coughing from all the fumes in the air. His ears were ringing something fierce, and he stumbled his way back upstairs. Surprisingly, nobody either heard or called the police. He'd never make that mistake again. His hands jerked when the dogs started to bark. Looking at his wristwatch, he saw it was two o'clock in the morning. Frickin' dogs. I swear if some kid's messing around up there, I ain't gonna feel bad when they bite him in the ass, he said curtly. He moved up the stairs and listened. The barking increased, and it was followed by the sharp kind of whine that only a dog can make. Must be them coyotes again. He went back down to grab his 22. Nothing that would wake the rest of the nearby town, but it would definitely get the job done. Running back upstairs, he pushed open the front door. Not in a hundred years could he be prepared for what he saw. Ahead of him, where fifteen dogs had been, now lay fifteen blood-soaked corpses. Even in the darkness, he could see the shimmering reflection of the still bodies, with only the sound of the wind gently blowing through the dust bowl. He murmured nonsensically, his mind temporarily coming to a halt. There was no contingency for these circumstances, no script for him to follow. His pale hands shook as they searched for the doorknob behind him, and he stumbled back in, doing everything he could to get to safety. Numbly, he moved into the living room, tripping over that damn broken chair, and fell flat on his face. Stars exploded as his world went black. His nose gushed like a crushed tomato, and he barely registered the sound of shattering glass to his left. Floundering his way to his knees, he squinted in that direction to see one of his dogs. It slowly padded its way over and stopped short of smelling the blood in the air. Ralph's hands looked around for the gun, and shakily, he began to raise the weapon. The dog looked dumbly at him. Ralph wasn't sure what, but something was off. There was no emotion. Its tongue didn't loll out, and any hint of what was on its mind was completely absent. Benji? He asked slowly reaching out a hand to the dog's snout. The dog's face was ripped in half, going the wrong way. A mess of red exploded all over Ralph as a razor-sharp tendril shot out of the beast's neck. He pulled back, his hand giving way at the wrist, and fired with his other hand. The shot missed wildly, and he got up to run for the open basement. 
What had once been the dog now grew larger. Its skin stretched and sloughed off, giving way to raw muscle. The two heads began growing independently. Two skulls with barbed teeth pointed in different directions snapped out of the ruined half of the faces, the center of both making a rudimentary mouth in its own right. Ralph only made the first couple of steps before tumbling his way down. He lay there in misery, groaning from the ache that shot through him. He didn't know what, but something inside him had broken, and dragging himself away from the stairs caused new daggers of pain throughout his chest. He temporarily forgot about that, though, as he looked to the top. The creature stood before him like a beast from Revelations. Its spiked tongue whipped back and forth through the air, eager to be utilized again. In the back of his mind, he heard the sounds of more shattering glass. For a quick moment, he had hoped that help was here, that he would be spared this terrible fate. However, his heart quickly sank as, from behind the descending creature, more tendrils began to wave into view. He knew there wasn't any hope for him. He was a sitting duck, and the blood he felt pooling into his abdomen sold him on that. He looked up to the table where his ingredients were. Lucky for Ralph, he forgot to turn the burner off on his latest batch, and it was a biggin. If he couldn't save himself, he might be able to take these abominations out with him. Well, that'd be all right, I suppose, he wheezed. Just as the monster came down the last step, he threw his rifle as hard as possible at his kitchen table. He didn't even have time to register there was an explosion. In the blink of an eye, smoke and dirt rose from the now leveled house and rode the wind straight into the dust bowl. You've been listening to And the Wind Will Blow by Cryptic Wander. You can find more of this author's audio adaptations on our very own channel, as well as on their Reddit profile in print by the same name. And that last word is Wander, W-A-N-D-E-R. Our second tale of turmoil this week is about Peter. His worst nightmare is realized when he awakens in a pitch-black room, unsure of how he got there. Peter is informed that he has been kidnapped for the purpose of playing a deranged and deadly game. His goal is to find a way out by locating the key to the door of the room. The catch? He must comb through the horrifying darkness without being attacked by three deadly scorpions who have been placed in the room by his tormentor. And without further ado, from author P.D. Williams, I give you The Wooden Box. Peter? Oh, Peter. It's time to wake up, sleepyhead. 
The quiet voice drifted through the blackness of the small enclosure, like a fall leaf looking for a place to land. Peter lay sprawled across a concrete floor. His eyelids fluttered as the sing-songy voice pulled him back to consciousness. With great effort, he pushed up until he was leaning on one elbow. He was surrounded by nothingness. The pain in his head was sharp and intense. It felt like someone was trying to break out of his skull with a jackhammer. What's going on? He asked, his speech slurred. He was woozy and confused as if he'd been drugged. He vaguely remembered walking to his car after work. Something had covered his face. A rag? It had a strong medicinal smell and then... What? Gentle, upbeat music began to fill the lightless room. It had a bouncy rhythm, a childlike quality. A brief intro was followed by a chorus of small children singing gleefully. Good morning, good morning, let's all get up and sing. Shake those webs out of your head and dance and play and sing. Oh, good morning, good morning, it's time to move along. With a do-dilly-dee and a do-dilly-doo, it's our good morning song. The tune ended with an abrupt thump. Peter continued to lean against the floor. What was that? Are there children here? Well, look who's finally up. Welcome, Peter. The voice was not insistent or urgent. It nudged rather than pushed. Please, take a few moments to acclimate yourself. Peter heaved himself up to a crooked sitting position. He had no sense of time or location. The lack of light clouded his perception. His head swayed as he attempted to make out his surroundings, but his eyes proved useless. As he continued to pull in deep breaths of air, he gradually became more lucid. When his situation became clear to him, Peter hyperventilated. His intense fear of the dark seized control of his mind and body. He was cloaked in impenetrable darkness. His terrified mind drew vivid pictures of phantom tendrils reaching out for him. They pulled him down into a pit with a withered ghoul whose hands could reach out at any time and drag its cracked fingernails down his naked arm. His neck muscles stiffened and tingled as he thought of the thing's hot, putrid breath caressing his neck, lingering there like a sticky web. His instinctive need to escape overwhelmed him to the point of incoherence. He hoped it was all a nightmare, something that would evaporate once the lights came on. But he knew this was real. It was happening. He could feel the unforgiving floor beneath his quivering body. He managed to stand upright, nearly slipping. White dots danced before his eyes, and sickness churned in his belly. Despite his alarm, he did not shout for help. 
that's the thing about the dark. I could be anywhere. Am I alone? Is there someone else in here with me? He thought of addressing the unsettling voice, but he also wondered what he might draw forth from the inky expanse. He felt caught between needing to know what was happening and fearing the answer. The floating voice again penetrated the void, as if divining Peter's concerns. Hello again, Peter. Now that you've had ample time to adjust, tell me, are you scared? Do you find yourself alone in the shadows, or are others standing near you? I can hear your frantic breathing. I can feel your heartbeat through the walls. Would you care to know where you are, or are you afraid to be told that you've died and fallen into the deepest hole in hell? Maybe you're wondering if this is a place where you can escape or, hopefully, be rescued. Talk to me, Peter. Your questions pose no danger to you. Where am I? Not as far away as your imagination and distress might be telling you. You're within ten miles of your office, and you might be relieved to learn that you're not in some large, abandoned warehouse. The room you're in only measures 14 by 10, probably the size of your bedroom. This is a place that you likely drive by every day on your way to work and never notice it. Probably no one else does either. Why am I here? Why have I been kidnapped? Why not you, Peter? Is your life any more or less important than someone else's? But I haven't done anything! What are you going to do to me? I'm going to offer you an opportunity to free yourself. How? How am I going to free myself? With something small yet important. Something necessary for your survival. Such as? A key. Well, not so much a key as the key. Key to what? Isn't it obvious? The key to the door. You do want to get out, don't you? And no, I won't track you down or harm you. Your escape comes with no consequences. All you have to do is move around the room and find that key. It shouldn't be too difficult. The room is empty. Now, keep in mind, it could be anywhere. It might be hanging on a wall, dangling from the ceiling, or lying on the floor. Who knows? Once you find it, all you have to do is feel your way to the door, unlock it, and step into the glorious sunlight. Peter restrained his optimism. There had to be a catch. There was always a catch. You're leaving something out, aren't you? There's something you want. Tell me what's in this for you. You got me, Peter. It doesn't mean much if it's not challenging. It's okay, though. You're going to do fine. Just tell me what I have to do. With you is a small wooden box. Feel around the floor and let me know when you find it. And if I refuse? 
then my efforts to lead you toward a solution to your dire circumstances will be moot. The threat was clear, so he stooped and began groping around. His fingertips pushed against something hard. Peter felt the rectangular object, determined that it was the hidden box, and picked it up. Okay, I found it, he said. Well, that's very good, Peter. You're one step closer to home. Now then, you'll feel a lid on top of the box. Lay the box back down on the floor and remove it. Then stand up quickly and take a few steps back. Peter complied. He heard a faint scraping noise and something light hitting the floor. Two more puzzling sounds followed. Then he detected some faint scuttling. Soon after, something crawled over his shoe. He gasped, lifted his foot, and propelled whatever it was across the room. What was in that box? Peter, listen to me carefully. There are three sizable and highly venomous black fat-tailed scorpions in the room with you. In the Middle East and parts of Africa, they are known as man-killers. Now, Peter, you have to be careful here. They're nocturnal, so they thrive in the dark. They can climb rough walls, such as the brick ones in your room. They can crawl across a ceiling and drop down on you. Like all good hunters, they hide and wait patiently for their prey to wander along. As you search for the key, you'll want to tread lightly. They can sense vibrations. Their venom is fast-acting. The immediate symptoms of being stung are swift, painful, and horrific. Without prompt medical care, you won't survive. Do you understand what I've just told you? Peter stood, petrified and mute. Peter, do you understand? Yes, he croaked. Marvelous. It's now officially you against the scorpions. I hope you crush it. I mean that literally and figuratively. I'll be watching all the action via an infrared camera. How do I know you won't kill me anyway? I said I wouldn't, but I've never had to think about it before. No one has escaped yet. For now, you're the next contestant. Good luck, Peter. Wait, just let me out of here. I haven't seen you. I can pull together some money. Okay, not a lot, but enough to make it worth your while. Silence. Hey, come on! Don't just leave me here! Please! Please! Silence. Peter exhaled. His teeth chattered and his body trembled. Lightless room, poisonous scorpions, and a blind search for a small key? What could go wrong? Okay, you can do this. Do this. And do this. His first idea was to try his cell phone, but his pocket's lightness indicated it was missing. Then he considered the door. He wondered if it could somehow be forced open. 
Peter suspected that pounding on it and yelling for help wouldn't do him any good. Lord only knew where he was. He stuck his arms out in the windowless room and stepped forward. Despite trying to remain poised, he felt fear rushing through his veins like a frigid river. His unhelpful mind began conjuring images of dog-sized monstrosities swirling about the room, ready to snare him with oversized pinchers and squeeze him until he was sliced in two. He shuddered as he imagined the excruciating gouge of a gigantic, barbed stinger that would pump gallon after gallon of searing poison into his cracking frame. Knock it off. We don't have time for this now. Just focus on that stupid key so we can get out of here. Once Peter got himself marginally in check, he began moving again. He walked until he came to a wall and then felt his way along until he reached a steel door. It was heavy and dense, like the type used for extra security. Tracing the frame, he discovered the knob and twisted it. Because it moved freely, Peter reasoned that it wasn't the knob securing the door, but some other kind of locking mechanism. He examined further and came across the bulge of a double deadbolt lock. Now he knew what he was dealing with. The key it would have to be. He hoped that his perceptions might be heightened enough to guide him past the scorpions into the key. He couldn't see the room and its contents, which was an obvious disadvantage, but he remembered hearing that the brain could compensate for a lost sense by enhancing the other faculties. Scorpions. His idea was to start with the floor, then gradually work his way upward. He followed the wall until he felt a corner. Then, he got down on his hands and knees and started crawling, sliding his palms across the floor's surface. Despite his resolve, his desire to find the key began to be hampered by his knowledge that three large, deadly scorpions lurked around him. What did I ever do to deserve this? He wandered around for several minutes, then halted when his hand collided with something small and firm. He shot to his feet. Oh, crap! He immediately began stomping around the floor. He heard the unmistakable crunch, followed by the sound of fast tapping, swiftly moving away from him. His body shook as the adrenaline ran its course. Once his nerves settled down, Peter lowered himself again and resumed his search. He glided his hands over the floor's smooth surface, keeping in mind that the other scorpions could be scattered across it. He moved forward in a straight line. When he came to the wall, he made a U-turn. Crawling, unseeing, and defenseless, he kept anticipating a sharp sting. His stomach hurt. Once he convinced himself that he had successfully surveyed the entire room, Peter enjoyed a palpable sense of relief. He was about to switch his blind search to the walls when he remembered what the voice had warned. They're capable of climbing. Okay, he mumbled. Easy does it. 
He prepared himself for the fact that the walls would take longer because, although he could sweep his hands widely over the floor, he would need to traverse the walls in tighter quadrants. Peter started at the lowest point and, with tremoring hands, progressed upward, then over and down again. His palms scraped over something with stiff hairs as he moved down, and he leapt back. He heard the scorpion skittering across the bumpy bricks to his left. Peter knew that he needed to pin down the scorpion's exact location and remove it before he could safely proceed with the wall search. He took off his thin outer shirt, rolled it thickly around his right hand, formed a fist, and then turned it to resemble a crude, fleshy hammer. He systematically began pounding his fist, one blow at a time, against the bricks, listening for movement. After a few hits, he felt a light tugging on the cloth. Next, there came a soft jabbing sensation against the outside of the covering. He continued smashing his padded hand against the wall, hoping the scorpion wouldn't climb over the protective barrier and stab him. Peter's heart was thumping like a 1980s techno beat. He could imagine the creature's fiery needle. He was more disgusted than satisfied when he finally heard the loud crack of its exoskeleton and felt warm fluid squirt onto his exposed wrist. Ugh. He moaned as he wiped away the crushed remains of the scorpion before tossing the shirt aside. Okay, that's two. Peter finished going over the remaining wall space. He found no trace of the key or its dangerous guardian, so he turned his attention to the ceiling from where he hoped to find the key suspended from a string. Despite having dispatched two-thirds of the obstacles between him and possible release, Peter was still unnerved. He felt like an inmate sentenced to execution, time and manner of death unknown. But his terror of the dark was considerably greater than his fear of the deadly hunter maneuvering around him, waiting to pounce. His muscles locked and his staccato breathing was like the desperate pant of a trapped animal. His mind vacillated between breaking out of the black, awful cage and the suffocating horror clinging to him like a blood-soaked shroud. Oh God, is the dark getting thicker? I can't breathe. Peter's chest hitched as he pulled in short gasps of dank air. He used the breathing technique that his psychiatrist had taught him some years back. Breathe in and hold it for three, two, one. Exhale slowly. He repeated the mantra until it had the desired effect. Once he regained a measure of composure, he turned his thoughts back to the key. He began working through logical scenarios. He didn't yet know where the key was, but he now knew where it wasn't. He also knew that the third scorpion hadn't been on the floor or walls. At least, not the wall he'd just beaten to a pulp, so it could be somewhere above him, along with the key. 
He hoped that he'd startled it enough to send it fleeing back down to the floor or a wall, rather than remaining on the ceiling, waiting for its quarry to wander by. So where are you, you little monster? As he began advancing, he lifted his arms over his head and made a forward paddling motion with his hands, hoping to graze the hanging key. After a while, he detected some quiet clacking, but the harsh acoustics of the empty room made the sound little more than a soft echo, making it difficult for Peter to establish the scorpion's whereabouts. He shivered at the thought of the hellish creature scurrying up his leg at any second. He paused and lowered his arms. He felt the need to think things through before proceeding. I can stay still and pray like crazy that help arrives, or I can go for the surer thing and keep looking for the key, assuming there even is one. Peter wondered if anybody had noticed yet that he was missing. He had no idea how long his abductor had imprisoned him. So why, when, or where would the search for him begin and end? His only tangible hope was to find the key. Peter raised his hands high again and resumed searching the room, step by agonizing step. He walked heel to toe until he reached the room's end to maintain as straight a line as possible. He continued to listen for the final attacker. Please, God, I can't take this much longer. On the one hand, he was discouraged by not finding the key yet. On the other, he was reassured that the waiting scorpion hadn't speared him. He was also becoming impatient. He wanted out now. He picked up the pace and swung his hands out further in front of him. After a couple more wide passes, he bumped into a wall and kicked it in frustration. Peter sensed no air movement, just felt the raw feeling of something dropping onto his head. He shrieked as he felt the scorpion scratching its way across his scalp. In a frenzy, he raked his fingers through his hair, working to dislodge it before it had a chance to strike. His right-hand fingers swept underneath the enraged arachnid, giving his index finger a painful squeeze. Peter yelped and snapped his hand backward, sending the scorpion tumbling down the back of his undershirt. Its tiny leg bristles scraped against his goosebump-dotted skin as it slid slowly down his bare back. At first, its sting felt like little more than a slight needle prick. But as the jab sight began to burn with increasing intensity, Peter knew the worst had happened. His heart thumped furiously inside his chest as a primal instinct overtook him, throwing him into a mad fit of desperation. Hoping to kill the scorpion, he ran backward until he collided with one of the walls. He screamed as agonizing pain shot through his swelling back like a white-hot electrical current. Peter groaned in anguish when he felt the sinister thing's spider-like body squirming around at the bottom of his shirt. 
He grimaced and arched his back as the unharmed scorpion clawed its way upward toward the shirt's entry point, digging its dagger feet in along the way and slamming its stinger against his tender flesh repeatedly, like endless injections of boiling acid. His effort had failed. Feeling his strength waning, Peter hurled himself backward one last time. His nearly limp body crashed heavily against the rigid wall, causing the foul creature's soupy guts to explode through its shattered armor and onto his tortured skin. Then, his legs gave way, and he dropped to the floor in a paralyzed heap. He was sweating profusely, spit oozing from his mouth like a clear syrup. Help, he whimpered. Please, help me. He heard the turning of the deadbolt. The door opened, and a vague outline of a person filled the bright opening. Peter's eyelids began to droop. His vision blurred, making it impossible to make out the figure that had entered the room and was now stooping beside him. Oh, Peter. Oh, my goodness. The voice was serene and soothing. I know you might find this hard to believe, but I truly did want you to figure this out. I'm getting bored with the same old outcome. Why do people have to make everything so complicated? The answer's always the simplest. That's sad, don't you think, Peter? Isn't that sad? Peter was finding it hard to breathe. The waves of nausea were getting stronger. Tears flowed from his eyes in a salty torrent. He didn't want to end up like this, a crumpled corpse on a filthy floor whose body would never be found by anyone. This is going to kill Mom and Dad. Honestly, Peter, I would have allowed you to walk away. As you observed earlier, you never saw me, and I can always relocate. But here you are. The paralysis has already overtaken you. First your limbs, lungs, and other vital organs. But the good news is the overall pain will lessen to a dull throb. Your heartbeat will slow down, and breathing will become much more difficult. You've got maybe a couple of hours or so, and then your soul, at least, will be free. If there's anything you want to say, you'll need to say it now while you can still talk. Where? Peter grunted. Where's the key? I have to know. Please. Was it in the ceiling? Well... After everything you've been through, the least I can do is show you the answer. It's both logical and straightforward. Whenever something goes missing, people tend to look all over their house for it. They turn the whole place inside out. And like them, all of you waste so much time trying to be resourceful that it never occurs to you to begin by searching the one place people eventually find most lost items. The man reached into Peter's front pants pocket 
and removed a key. You've been listening to The Wooden Box by P.D. Williams. P.D. Williams is an author, composer, and multi-instrumentalist who enjoys writing about himself in the third person. His short horror fiction stories have appeared in the popular Scare Street anthology series Night Terrors Volume 14, Night Terrors Volume 16, Night Terrors Volume 22, and Night Terrors Volume 24. Print copies are available in hardback and ebooks at Amazon.com. The author resides in North Carolina with his beautiful and long-suffering wife. Please pray for her. No, seriously, guys, pray for this person. What? The last bit may have been offensive? Nah, not at all. He even says so. See for yourself at www.pdwilliamsauthor.com. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and I'll see you right here at this same time next week. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill, for yet another Dance with Darkness... I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tales performed by, 
Yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda. Finalization by Craig Groshek and N.M. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.